This is the How'd You Get Into That Podcast with Grant Baldwin, episode 66. Merry Christmas. Welcome to the How Did You Get Into That Podcast. Each week, we want to bring you an inspiring interview or encouraging message to help you find and do work you love. Now, here's your host, Grant Baldwin. Hey, what's up, my friends? Welcome to another episode of How'd You Get Into That. Today, it's Christmas. Merry Christmas, everyone. Hopefully, uh, you got a great day. Good morning. Hopefully, Santa's been good to you and all his tiny little elves that were creeping around your place. Uh, they brought you nice presents and gifts, and uh, hopefully, you've been able to spend some time with family and friends and loved ones. Maybe you're listening to this uh, on the way to drive to a, uh, a family function that maybe you want to or don't want to attend. Either way, Merry Christmas to you. Hopefully, you've had a great week, and hopefully, you've got a great rest of the day, great rest of the, the week ahead of you. Hey, got a great interview for you today. Uh, excited to share my buddy Jeff Rose with you. Jeff is a uh, certified financial planner. He's a blogger. He's got his hand in a few different things. He and his wife, Mandy, do a, uh, a podcast on uh, about marriage. And, and uh, so we, we talk about a bunch of different stuff today, uh, but excited to, to share his story, his journey. So uh, let's get into it. Here you go. My Christmas present to you, my little chit chat with Jeff Rose. Enjoy. What is up, my friends? Welcome to another episode of How Did You Get Into That? Today, we are joined by my friend, my brother from another mother, Jeff Rose. What is up, Jeff? How you doing, man? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Good to have you here. Jeff is a certified financial planner and he is a money guru. He's just an all around good dude. So uh, glad to uh, have him on the show. So certified financial planner, you're a money guy. You have a, a successful money blog. Give us an overview of your business. What all you got going on? Yeah. So I guess my bread and butter, I do have my own financial planning practice. I am the CEO founder and I put that on my business card because I want to feel just that special. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> but I've been doing that for uh, for 10 years, started my own firm back in 2011. And that's just been, it's been a great ride. And uh, I took that from the offline model into the online model. I started a blog, goodfinancialsense.com. And just it's been a blast there educating others and just meeting the masses and yeah, that blog uh, won a blog of the year at the uh, financial blogger conference uh, two years ago so just it's great to be recognized you know for those efforts and uh, along the way I got a book deal soldier of finance got published and that's you know, it was a bestseller on Amazon so that was another great thing that uh, we got going on and then uh, my wife and I my wife is also a blogger and she has an online business and we have a joint project that we're doing called dollars and roses so it just it keeps us busy. You know, we got three boys that are all under the ages of uh, eight right now. So, you know, the Rose household is a busy household, but we love it. I was going to say, it sounds like there's no shortage of stuff for you to do. <laughs> Not at all. So what interests you about the personal finance space and just the financial planning space? Because, I mean, there's a lot of people that just seemed overwhelmed with with the, the with numbers and, and markets and just trying to make sense of it all. No pun intended. But what what is it for you that's, that's fascinating about it? Yeah. So let's just speak some truth for a minute. So... My junior year of high school, I took pre-calculus and I think I got a C, maybe even a well D. Well done. Well done. D plus. We're going we're gonna to meet in the middle. D plus. I struggled. I mean, I struggled with it. I had the option of taking calculus. My senior year wasn't required. So did I take it? Heck no, I did not take it. I was done with math. I can't tell you how much I struggled with pre-calculus. And then in, in uh, junior college and college, like I got back into it. And somewhere along the way, like I just, I, it just clicked. I don't know why I had such a struggle in high school. And then uh, when I was trying to decide my major, 
I wanted to go into accounting. I don't know why. I just thought I'm a numbers guy. I think accounting might be great. And my dad, who, you know, he didn't go get his college degree till he was in his mid fifties. And, you know, he, he kind of bounced around his entire life and his career. But uh, this is like some of the best advice he ever gave me. And he said, he's like, Hey son, he's like, you want to go into accounting? He's like, have you ever met an accountant with a good person, like a funny and good personality? <laughs> and I like, I kind of thought about it. I was like, no, I don't think so. Why? And he's like, exactly. He's like, you need to go into finance. And like, I didn't know, I didn't know what finance meant or what that was really all about, but right. I'm like, okay, I, great advice, Ted. I think I'll, uh, <laughs> I'll go into finance. And, and that's what I ended up doing. And it just, something about that just resonated with me. Like finance to me was always like trying to find an answer, you know, to like some complex, you know, problem, you know, just how do you find it? Like, and just working all these different problems and trying to figure out what the solution is. That's how it was. I got the first introduction to finance. And from there I got an internship, just a chance internship at an investment firm in my area. And I really had no interest in being a financial advisor at all, like period. And I ended up getting a job offer from uh, one of the brokers I was helping. And initially, I declined it. And the reason I declined it is because I was 23 at the time. I felt I was way too young to help people manage their investments. And plus, I really didn't get it. Yeah, I was in finance, but I really... Finance does not equal investing. You know, a lot of people think, oh, you're a finance major, you get investing. Like, no, we, they don't teach you about investing, really, like when you're a finance major. It's just all these basic... Uh, just basic uh, concepts and really has nothing to do with investing and financial planning. Hmm. So initially I declined it and, and was looking uh, I had visions of like doing the corporate ladder, going up to St. Louis and, you know, getting a job at some corporate headquarters. And this is back right after the uh, tech bubble back in 01 and uh, the, the market tanked, the job market tanked. And I really had, I put all my eggs in one basket, which they always say don't do. I uh, thought I was gonna get hired by this one company that fell through and I went back to the guy that made me the offer. I'm like, hey, are you still offering that position? <laughs> and, uh, and he was. And so I thought, you know what? I'm going to give it a go and just kind of see what happens. And I, thought, I honestly thought I'd probably do it for a year or two. And here I am 10 years later, 10 plus years later, and uh, here I am. So the way you got into investing side of it is more just kind of uh, by just kind of random circumstance. Absolutely. Interesting. Yeah. So at the time when you at the time when you take that position though, it's just kind of like, well, this is kind of the only option on the table. So you know, at this point, I got to eat and live indoors. So we'll take this and we'll kind of figure it out from there. So was your plan? It sounds like just to let's just do this to buy us some time until we figure out something different we'd rather be doing. You know, pretty much. And got to remember again because like my dad, like he knew nothing about investing. He really had no investments on his own. My mom didn't invest. So like she didn't really have any great insight to offer me in that profession. So like I really going into that that career, I just had no, I had no background whatsoever in investing. So this didn't really have any interest. And what kind of opened my eyes was it was one of the first appointments I had, and I was meeting with a couple that was more than twice my age. And I can just remember like they were like my parents. They hadn't saved enough. They were clueless when it came to investing. You know, just the investing in general was just such a complex topic to them. And that's when I realized, you know, being a financial advisor is not so much, you know, having to be the expert in investing and all these advanced strategies. I mean, yeah, it's, it's good and you need to have it. But at the end of the day, it's more about educating. It's more about showing people and demonstrating. Once again, going back to the whole finance thing, showing people solutions, you know, to the situation that they're in, and then helping them understand it. And like when that kind of hit me, I was like, "Wow!" Like I don't really have to talk about standard deviation, beta, and, and all this other crap. Like it's just about mm -hmm. introducing 
complex topics, but making it simple so people can digest it and most important, take action. So in some ways, it sounds like you found yourself in the role as, as just a, a teacher. Exactly. Yeah. I, and I, I didn't really think of, you know, I, I never thought of financial advisors being that, but yes, I felt more like an educator than anything. Did you feel like you were in over your head though, especially when you're starting off and you said you were what, 23 when you took that position? Absolutely. I remember. So the initial arrangement is like I had this, my, uh, I was a junior broker. So I worked with another advisor and initially we had a, all the, all our meetings were together. So he basically led the meeting and I just kind of like sat in the background, took notes and <laughs> try not know, to screw up. <laughs> yeah. Just trying to screw up smile, you know, nod my head. And I remember the first time that I had an appointment without him, it was like a later appointment. He already had, you know, he had kids, so he was already at home. And I had this appointment with these clients that were, they weren't clients yet. They were trying to become clients. And once again, they're like in their late fifties, early sixties. And here I am, you know, 24 now, you know, I've had a few appointments, but I still don't know anything about anything. And by the end of the appointment, these people were so freaking confused because I had no idea (laughs) like where I was so lost. I had no, you know, set agenda. It was a disaster. They didn't become clients, but I learned a lot in that appointment about what I wasn't going to do the next time. And, you know, sometimes you need those, those valuable lessons to, just to learn from your mistakes and realize, okay, now I know how to better myself and, you know, what I'm not going to do the next time. Right. Yeah. I was going to say, I mean, I think anytime you get started the first time out of the gate of anything you're doing, whether it's a, you know, a podcast, a blog, consulting, speaking, anything, the first time is going to be generally a swing and a miss. And that's okay. You got to have a few of those at bats just to get under your belt, just to start to kind of get your feet underneath you and kind of figure out, okay, now that didn't work. So let's try it this way next time. And you, you kind of learn as you go. Everything in life, you know, I associate to, I've never been afraid to fail. I've never been afraid to try something to see if it works. And it's just something that I've always realized. And it wasn't until like, it was a Dan Sullivan, who's the CEO of a strategic coach. And, you know, I remember him saying one time in the, the coaching program with him and he came to visit our class one time and he said, you know, like, he's like, I've never failed in my life. You know, everything that I've gone through has been a learning experience. And like when he's put it in that perspective, I mean, it's so true, right? I mean, that's how you learn. I mean, that's our tuition, you know, is, is to go through those experiences and learn from them, you know, imply what you've learned, what, from the mistakes you made and just make sure you don't do it again. You're in the financial space, but at some point you hop into the military. Tell, Tell us more about that transition. Yeah. So prior to me joining or becoming a financial advisor, I was already in the Army National Guard. So I signed up for the Guard to, you know, basically pay for school. You know, once again, my parents didn't have anything safe for me for college. So if I wanted to go go to college, it was either going to be a whole lot of student loan debt or, you know, do the military thing. I had several friends of mine that already joined the National Guard. And I just thought, you know what, I, at that point in my life, I actually had dropped out of college. I dropped out of my first semester of college, which is something my dad just hoped that I wouldn't do. (laughs) And unfortunately I did. I was working with my mom at a stuffed animal toy company doing data entry eight hours a day. Like, I don't know how I did it. Sounds sexy. Eight hours a day of just entering in numbers, for God's sakes. <laughs> just in, you know, my mom and I are very similar. We're very opinionated, very strong willed. And I was living with her at the time. And we were just button heads. I just, it was just a bad point in my life. And I knew I needed something. And that's when I joined the National Guard just to basically just get my life back together. And, you know, it's literally one of the best life decisions I made. 
So I joined the guard, you know, was in it for several years. I want to say about three or four years. And then I became a financial advisor. Everything was good. I ended up re-upping for another three years because I just enjoyed it that much. For me at the time, I was, you know, I was wearing the shirt and tie to work, you know, every single day, sitting behind a desk. And the National Guard was like that one week in a month where I can go out in the field and just get dirty and, you know, hang out with the guys and tell stories. Well, that weekend warrior adventure turned into a 17-month deployment to Iraq. Wow. You know, back in January 2005, our unit was called up. And initially, I thought it was a joke. It wasn't. And I went to Iraq back, uh, yeah, January of 05 is when I deployed, came back in April of 2006. What, what's that like whenever you're, because I mean, you initially sign up for the guard just to pay for school and it's just a means to an end. And it's like, you know, it sounds like for the most part, it's like, well, I, you know, I got to do this in order for them to, you know, pay for school. It sounds like you enjoyed the weekend warrior stuff, but then it's like, it's uh, my assumption would be like all of a sudden it gets very, very real when they call you and they're like, no, it, you know, this is no more just weekend warrior stuff. We, we you know, we got actual hardcore stuff we got to go take care of. It got real in a hurry. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. And, you know, the, the kind of the funny thing to that was like I had already fulfilled my obligation. I had done my six years and most of my friends that had signed up for the same reason I did, you know, get college and, you know, serve the country. You know, they didn't reenlist. They got out. And I was really like one of the only ones that ended up reenlisting for another three. And most of them thought I was an idiot. But I was like, you know, what? I really did enjoy it. And then uh, like literally what, nine months that reenlistment is when we got the notice, I got called up and I was like, oh, OK, maybe I should rethink that. <laughs> Hang on but, a second. Let's back up here. Can I just uh, pull the plug on this after all? You know, it was something that obviously I was stressed because that was a time, man. All you heard about in the news was IEDs, you know, just yeah. Humvees being blown up, trucks being blown up, you know, obviously everything that comes along with that. I mean, it's all you heard about. But at the end of the day, there was something that just felt good about doing something, you know, selfless service, doing something for your country, doing something that's bigger than you, you know, just something that you're always, people, could, no one could ever take that away from me. Right. And, um, you know, it was obviously, it, it was, I don't say a miserable experience, but, you know, being away from your wife and family, you know, for a year and, and just not be able to like, just live your life. I mean, it was tough, but I'm thankful for it and I'm glad I did it. Yeah. And I'm on behalf of everyone listening. Thanks for doing that. Cause I, there's a comedian I've heard who says, uh, is that I'm always thankful for the troops because if they weren't the troops, then I would be the troops and I would be the worst troops. So I'm uh, extremely indebted and grateful for, uh, for your service, what you've done for our country, man. So really appreciate that. So you come back from your tour over there and what's life transitioning back into your career? How's that go? Yeah. So, you know, I've been an advisor for about two and a half, three years at that time, you know, take a 17 month hiatus, came back. I was lucky enough to where the, the brokerage company I was working for, you know, they kept my book of business. I had the advisor that hired me initially took care of my clients. So I just kind of slid back in. There was a, you know, three to six month transition of just getting used and re, getting reacclimated to being a citizen again. Right. So there was that transition period and just, man, I just started cranking it out and and everything was going great. And then our uh, AG Edwards at the time, my brokerage firm got bought out by Wachovia and just kind of like sent like a, you know, shockwaves through like, you know, our, our office and just through, you know, just the entire company. And at that point in time, that's when I started reevaluating because like I'd always told people I'm going to be AG Edwards for the rest of my life. Yeah. And obviously that, that was very naive to even think that, but uh, you know, I really loved the company. I had, I had, there was no reason for ever me considering to leave and then when they got bought out, it just opened my eyes. Like, you know, this really isn't the, the what I was looking for. That I can't really envision myself here. So that's when uh, I left and co-founded a firm with the three other advisors. That was, once again, another scary moment in my life because, 
you know, I was leaving the guy that hired me. I was leaving my mentor. I was leaving, you know, the guy that took care of my clients while I was gone to Iraq. I mean, this guy loved me like a brother. And I, I mean, I loved him like a brother and even a father. I mean, he was a father figure. But at the end of the day, I felt like this is something I had to do. And it was a very tough decision and very tough because uh, the, the guy that my mentor to my face told me, he's like, I think you're making the worst decision of your life. Wow. And from someone that you look up to and admire and, and to hear those words, I mean, you know, they, they crushed me, but you know, a hindsight be 2020, it wasn't the worst decision of right. my life. Turned out pretty good. <laughs> Turned out pretty freaking good. Let, let's talk about that transition. Cause there's, I think there's people that maybe listen to this who would be in a similar spot. Maybe they're doing some type of job and they like it. You know, there's nothing wrong with it. There's parts of it. They like parts of it. They don't like, but there's also that kind of that, uh, that allure of doing your own thing or kind of starting your own business, even doing in, you know, in the same space. So like, how do you wrap your mind around going from the, the known to the unknown? And how do you, again, like you said, hindsight's 2020, everything worked out well, but before you make the leap and you've got, you know, a highly respected person in your life and especially in your career telling you like you're making a horrible, horrible decision. How do you build up the courage to actually take that next step? Yeah. You know, I, I can remember doing just a lot of research, you know, just going out there and because in our industry, going independent was always perceived like the advisors that went independent, those are the ones that couldn't hack it, you know, on the other side. You know, mm-hmm. couldn't hack it with a big brokerage firm. They're more, more or less like, oh, well, yeah, you couldn't make it over here. So you got to go in independent. Like that was like kind of like what I, the Kool-Aid that was passed to me and I drank it because I, I didn't know any better. <laughs> right. So I started, you know, just doing research. I started talking to other advisors that were willing to talk to me that, you know, just really across the country, just kind of reaching out and sending emails, making phone calls and realizing, just hearing their stories of what it really meant. You know, instead of listening to the people that hadn't even, hadn't really done the research, they were just going based off what others had regurgitated. You know, I just started doing research and just reading more about it, you know, checking out other options, looking at other companies, you know, talking with others. And, you know, that decision was not made overnight. I think, I mean, that was done. I think it was from May or June is like whenever I started getting the itch and we didn't actually make the switch until December that year. So it wasn't like, oh, wake up. I'm like, I'm going independent. See ya. Right. You know, it was something that because, uh, you know, at the time, like, I mean, the, we just we just had our first child. You know, my wife was working. She had a good income. But I mean, you know, I was still the breadwinner. So it wasn't like we couldn't survive off my income. Right. It, it was something that we had to really think about. And I, I wish I could tell you that I prayed about it a lot at that time. You know, Jesus wasn't as prominent in my life as he is now. I'm thankful that, you know, he was he was still had my back, even though I didn't go for him for help. But yeah, just something I thought about, you know, me and my wife talked about it a lot. You know, I wanted to make sure that she was completely on board with this. I mean, you know, we went through all the different scenarios, like, you know, the what ifs, you know, what if this doesn't work out? What if this doesn't happen? What if my clients don't follow me? You know, what does this look like? And we looked at our budget and just to see how it would survive if, you know, we didn't, if our income was, you know, dropped for like three months, six months, et cetera. And we just, we looked at every different angle. And at the end of the day, when we kind of like did all the planning and took a look, took a really hard, deep look. You know, like we thought, I think we can make this work. Yeah. Even the first couple months into the, the transition there. So so you start the your own firm in, in December there. How often are you second guessing yourself? Are you wondering, did I make the wrong decision? Do I need to go back with my tail between my legs and, and beg for my, my gig back? How often is that, if ever, was that running through your head? You know, it's funny because we had like a, a trans, like a recruiter, like that was helping us with the transition. And he told us, he's like, you know, in about three months, you'll be able to see income wise, like how you're going to like, basically that you made the right decision. He's like, that's, you know, every other advisor that's made the switch, that's typically what we see. 
in my own personal experience, I think I made that realization like five or six weeks in. Wow. I mean, it was like that quick. When I got my first check and, and the previous company took a big chunk, you know, just for having the name and all the other stuff. And when you go independent, you get to keep a little bit more. You got other business expenses. But at the end of the day, like I had, I had more money get deposited in my check account that I had probably in my first five years. And that's when I knew. Yeah. Let me ask you this, even kind of in that transition period, because there's, it reminds me of the E-Myth by Michael Gerber. And he talks about basically the idea that there's some people that are really, really good at a specific skill, but it doesn't necessarily mean they should open a business doing that. So for the example he makes, the analogy he uses is like a baker, you know, just because you can bake bread doesn't mean you should open a bakery. So for you, you know, and there's some people that may be listening to this, maybe they're really, really good at their one thing, but it doesn't necessarily mean that they should go do it independently or on their own. So how did you, because obviously, there's a lot of just the business side of it. Like you're saying, like AG Edwards is taking a big cut of it, but they're also, they're, you know, they're providing a lot of overhead for you and just like structure to the business itself so that you can go in and just do the task. So how did you, like, did you feel comfortable or confident with your, with your bigger business sense beyond just the financial standpoint to make that leap? Or what are you kind of thinking at that point? You know, it's funny. I, just reflecting back, like I never once like even second guessed what we were doing. I just felt confident about it. <laughs> but but reflecting back, I was very fortunate that, as I mentioned, when I initially left, I had three other advisors that we went out. To, we went off together and co-founded our own firm. You know, I've since uh, separated from them, and and I'm now the CEO of my own company. But those those guys, like. They were older, you know, I think most of them had at least 15, 20 years on me. They were a lot more experienced. And just from like you mentioned the business sense, like I never once thought about, okay, well, you know, we gotta go and get an office, we gotta set up an LLC, you know, we gotta get our phone set up, like all these other things that go along running a business. Right. And I will say that a much of that they took care of. Like I kind of had my thing, but doing a lot of the other business things like that just don't excite me at all and really just bring me down. I was very blessed and fortunate to where they took a lot of that, took care of a lot of that. And um, it was very valuable to me because once I finally did my own thing, I recognized, okay, Jeff, like you can't do that, you know, when you do your own thing. So it just helped me realize like, I'm just, uh, I mean, I'm a quick start. I like to just, you know, I like to leap and just kind of see what happens afterwards. That isn't always the best business sense. Ready, fire, Um, aim. Ready, fire, aim. Right. Absolutely. And that's basically what I did, but I was very blessed to have, you know, some uh, coworkers or, you know, just co-partners that were able to pick me up where I needed it. There's a lot of people I've talked to on the show and just people offline who've said, you know, it almost helps to be just slightly naive. You know, like you don't want to go into a new endeavor as just complete idiot. Like you got to think some stuff through, but it's helpful to also like have your, you know, have a little bit of, of be naive about it a little bit so that it's kind of like if, if you knew what all was going into it before you even began, you probably wouldn't have taken that first step in the, you know, initially. So it sounds like it, it, that seemed to help you a little bit. It definitely did. <laughs> All right. So let's fast forward a little bit. So you've got the financial practice. It's going well. Things are humming along there. Why did you decide to start the blog? Yeah. So I was always passionate about educating, you know, talking about educating. I was always passionate about educating others and just helping them, you know, make smart financial decisions. And before blogging even entered, entered my life, I was doing seminars. I had started an investment class, you know, like a, a investing 101 that I offered through like our local park district. Mm-hmm. I had got the stock market game instilled at or installed at our local high school, you know, just so high school students could get a basic understanding of, you know, investing. And I would go talk to them all the time talking about, you know, investing 25 bucks a month. So you know, these are things that I was always passionate about. 
But um, you know, when you do an investing class, like you have like 15, 20 people in there. When you go to the stock, you know, the school, there's only 20, 30 students per class. So like, you know, just I had this great goal and vision, but like as far as the outreach, you know, the, just the numbers weren't there. And then uh, when I stumbled upon blogging and finally realized what a blog really was and realized the potential that you could reach, you know, just by putting a blog post out on the interwebs, it just, it excited me. It just got me super motivated. And I think that was back in 2008 is when I finally, when I launched Good Financial Sense. I knew at the time I had did a search for uh, certified financial planners at blog or something like that. And at that time I realized like there was really no financial planners that were blogging. There was like a handful. And I mean, when I say a handful, I'm like a handful. They just weren't uh, prevalent right at that point in time. Or interesting. Or in, or interesting. <laughs> I was gonna, it reminds me of what your dad told you about the accountants yeah. and just like having a personality. So, you know, it's one thing to see a need. It's another thing to be like, well, I mean, there's people doing it, but like, I feel like I can bring a little more pizzazz to the table. Yeah. When I realized that I had stumbled upon a niche, you know, as far as financial planners that have a blog and they're doing it consistently, I was determined. I was determined to, you know, g- become one of the best financial planner bloggers out there. And, uh, you know, I didn't, I didn't give up, you know, I just kept at it, kept at it, kept at it. And it's been a, it's been a fun ride. You know, I've had some highs and lows just with, you know, traffic and everything else, just as most bloggers can relate to, but it's been fun, man. I mean, I get email, I mean, not every day, but every, every few days from someone just thanking me for something I wrote or a video I did a year or two ago. And uh, that's just, that's the stuff that just keeps pushing me. But how do you balance that out between the offline and the online? Because it, it, you know, it sounds like the online has the ability to reach a lot more people and scales a little better than what you could do with, with meeting one on one with individuals. But the offline is is also kind of bread and butter, and it's you know I, I assume what would be a, a big part of what pays the bills. So how do you kind of balance those two similar interests, but at the same time they you know they both compete for your time? I was very blessed that when I made the decision to start the blog, you know, the financial planning practice was a pretty well-oiled machine. You know, it it allowed my wife to quit her day job to focus on, you know, helping my online business and also work on her online business. And so financially, I was good. And for the last couple of years, I really put no efforts into growing the offline practice. You know, I was getting referrals. I've got some strategic partnerships, you know, where I get referrals and my clients refer clients, but it wasn't a primary focus. I basically put everything, every extra time and energy I had was put into the blog and just growing, you know, just the online business because I just felt that that was where I would see exponential growth. Yeah. So for some of them, maybe listen to this, maybe they've got an offline thing and they're trying to figure out how do I, how do I impact more people or how do I scale this up a little more? How would you recommend making that transition from what you do offline to even what you're doing online? You know, what has really helped me is that you, people that never ran a blog before and don't, you know, think, oh, that, that seems easy. Like, yeah, it's easy, but I mean, actually, no, it's not easy, but it, <laughs> it takes a lot of freaking time. You know, it's just not writing a blog post and copying and pasting and putting on the blog. I mean, there's so much that goes into, you know, running a blog is like running a business. And what's helped me along the way is that I've recognized what, where my strengths are and where my weaknesses are to where I'm, I try to be as efficient with my time as I, as I am. And one example is that like, you know, every blog post now has to have some type of snazzy picture on it because of Pinterest and Instagram and just social media. And I could spend 10, 15 minutes trying to find a picture and, you know, using PicMonkey or Canva or some of these free online picturing editing tools and do it. 
And at the end of the day, I mean, it's going to look like crap when I get done with it. <laughs> so, you know, I have my assistant or my wife who are definitely more gifted in that skill set than I am. Are those different people or are they one and the same? No, I, I, my, they actually are different people. I have my office manager. She helps me because my wife now, she's busy doing her online business. My wife did it initially, but... Just clarifying for your safety in case yeah, Mandy's no, listening. Yeah, yeah correct. <laughs> so just like things like that, areas where I, I recognize that, yeah, I can do it, but I'd be better served finding somebody else that could do a whole lot faster, a whole lot better, and a whole lot cheaper, you know, as far as my time spent. How do you make that transition though when, when, you know, I think there's a lot of things where people can identify, you know, if I'm just starting a business and I'm starting to kind of get some traction and starting to kind of get up and running and I'm identifying things I do really, really well, other things that I don't, uh, and I'd love to be able to delegate some of those things or to pass them off to someone who could do them better, quicker, more efficient than I could. But if I'm going to have someone else do it, generally I'm going to have to pay for that service and I'm just getting started. So it's not like I've got a lot of extra in the bank anyway. So how did you kind of make that transition to just having some money that you can put towards having other people help you? Yeah, I think it all started for me. Like, So the first time I ever hired anybody to help me out, it actually was for pictures on the blog. And it wasn't my wife. It was a, it was a virtual assistant that I just kind of stumbled upon. And at that time, I just realized, you know, I was spending a lot of time finding a good picture, putting it on my site. And, you know, I found somebody, it was like four hours a week. I think I was paying them like 25 bucks a week to find these pictures because I thought, you know, that's four hours a week I could be doing who knows what, you know, actually writing the content, coming with ideas, bringing in new clients, whatever. And I just started small, you know, so I think that's a, that's sometimes people think, oh, I got to go out and hire a full-time assistant. Like, no, you don't. I mean, you could hire, you know, it could be a virtual assistant, could be someone local, it could be a college kid, somebody, you know, just got to develop some type of system for that individual, you know, show them exactly how you do it, how you want it done. And just start small and then, you know, just start making note of the things that you're doing each day that, yeah, they have to be done. But is that really is you as the business owner, as you as the entrepreneur, is that where you you really need to be focusing your efforts on? Yeah. Um, you know, and that's and it, you start small and like that virtual assistant I hired it was four hours a week and I hired her for a few years. And like now she actually works, I think, like 10 or 15 hours a week for me. And, uh, you know, now I have, I think, six other virtual assistants, including an office manager in my my practice you know, they're all working for me. And I'm always, I'm always looking to outsource more. But you know, I think you just got to start small, you know, just think of some little simple tasks that you do every single day that are routine, you know, that you would be comfortable delegating to somebody else. Yeah, good stuff there. And and since the the financial stuff has gone well, and you've, you've got good financial sense going well, you and your wife have started your own podcast and blog, just a podcast or a blog too? Blog too. Okay. All right. So uh, tell us about that. Yeah. So three years ago. So when my wife left her job to help me with my online business, she had a blog at the time too, but it was more of a family blog. And uh, shortly after she quit, this is probably the best, the worst thing I ever did, but she wanted to go to a conference, a blogging conference. I was like, yeah, sure, go ahead. <laughs> so when she went to this conference, you know, she thought, well, man, if my husband can do this, I could do this too. It was like a women's <laughs> blogging conference. So she came back from that inspired and wanted to like really focus on her blog. Which like I'm just I mean I'm the whole thing the whole thing just backfired, <laughs> it completely backfired. So she put a lot of effort into uh, House of Rose blog. Uh, that's her blog, and you know it really took off. I took a screenshot of her traffic, and I don't remember the exact number. Like January of uh, I'm trying to think it was maybe eleven. You know she had say three or four thousand visitors to her blog for the entire month. You know, which for a lot of new bloggers, that's great. Yeah, sure. January 2012, she had like 140,000 people come to her blog. Jeez. 
I mean, just in 12 months, I mean, it really blew up. So, I mean, so she got really excited with that. And I thought, you know what? It would be great if we did a joint blog together and we could show others, you know, how we blog, how we make money blogging and, uh, you know, just kind of come together. And we've started Dollars and Roses, the podcast and the blog, dollarsroses.com. And it was like the couple's guide to how we showing others people how we make money blogging. Interesting. We did it for several, you know, like I said, almost three years. And after that, you know, obviously my practice is growing. My blogs are growing. My book came out. She launched a new business called Happy Mommy Box with another blogger. It's a monthly subscription service for moms, uh, like care package for moms. And that's really taken off. And the behind us, you know, we had this thing in the background, this dollars and roses. And it was just like, what is this? You know, why are we doing this? Right. And it was, some, it really became a thorn in our side. You know, it was like, but the same token, like we got a lot of, good feedback, a lot of good traction. You know, a lot of people didn't really think of us as being successful online entrepreneurs. Like, you know, when we shared our income reports, basically it put us on the map. So it really helped. But at the end of the day, like it wasn't, we didn't really feel like that was God's purpose for us, Yeah, you know? And it just, it became, like I said, like our, it became the the stepchild. And, um, (laughs) I was able to go to a, like to a mastermind group. Uh, I'm in this weekly mastermind group. We had like a, an, an in-person meeting and I was just telling him about dollars and roses. And I told him how we kind of had this vision of, of wanting to help couples and, but we didn't really know how we were going to do it. And they're like, well, why don't you just change dollars and roses to go in an entirely new direction? And I'm like, Oh wow, that's amazing. <laughs> so, um, yeah. So like a few months ago we did a complete pivot and uh, we rebranded Dollars and Roses. So instead of a make money blogging blog, it's now you know helping couples design their perfect marriage. And uh, you know we've been married for ten years, and we've had some highs, we've had several lows, and you know it's just it's been real. You know marriage is not easy. It's you know it takes a whole lot of work, a whole right. lot of patience, a whole lot of love. And uh, you know we think that we've got a pretty good story to share, and just hope that others you know can learn from that, especially you know like newer couple, new married couples that you know still trying to find their way, or even you know, married couples that are kind of stuck, you know, that just, uh, they need to find that purpose and just kind of like get a, just a research, you know, in their marriage. And, uh, that's what our, what we're focusing on now. And I tell you what now, like before it was like a thorn in our side, but now we love it. You know, it's relatively new and just the response has just been absolutely amazing. Cool. And, um, you know, actually when I get done talking to you, we're going to record a couple more, a few more podcasts, you know, to put it out there. And we're truly excited about it. Nice, man. Yeah. I've, uh, we were talking a little bit offline and, uh, I've listened to a few of the episodes are really, really good stuff. So people definitely need to need to check that out. Let's, let's wrap up with this. You've got your hand in a bunch of different things. Again, both offline and online, you're busy, you, you know, you're married, you've got three kids. How do you keep keep it all balanced. And especially where, you know, you've got a bunch of types of interests and a bunch of types of things that you, you could be doing. So how do you, like, how do you, how do you keep all the, the balls in the air? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> boom. No, uh, boom. That's how I do it, baby. Um, not, you know, that, that's, that's some of them dropping in the background. <laughs> so with all the different things that I do, they never, it never could have been done if it wasn't hiring people that have a better skill set in certain areas. You know, so right now, you know, I have my VA that does SEO and she's kind of like my general VA. So she takes a lot of the, I call the crap tasks off my plate. You know, I have an office manager that, you know, right now here I am working from home. If any client calls, they have any money issues, you know, she's going to handle that. You know, I've got a virtual assistant that does graphic design. I have another virtual assistant that works on my websites, another virtual assistant that edits my videos and my podcasts. I have a wife that also like helps me out immensely, <laughs> you know, and I've got Jesus got my back, you know, 24 seven. But uh, it's just having the team 
in place that helped me achieve all these things. Yeah. Because it wasn't for that, there's no way, and, and, and there's just no way I could ever pull it off. And I couldn't have pulled this off, you know, three, four years ago. You know, this was a, because, uh, you know, if, you, if people don't know, like I've got five or six different other websites that I, I run, including their practice. So I don't work 60 hours a week. You know, that's the other thing. Like I've got a family, so I've got to make sure I take time away from them and uh, just spend time with them and, you know, just be involved in church. So like, you know, I got to make things a priority. So, you know, right. I just, I del- I'm not afraid to delegate and put people in control of things that I know that I can't do or do, you know, do yeah. well. That's a big theme of what we talk about on the show. Anyway, you know, how did you get into that? It's easy to look at where someone is today and think, man, I want that. But realize like, you know, having a, a team of people that are helping you with a variety of different projects, you, like you said earlier, you don't, you know, wake up on a Monday morning and say, all right, let's start this blog and start this blog and start this offline thing and start this online thing. And, uh, you know, it's just, it takes time to slowly incrementally build these things. And once one thing's going, then you can add another piece to it and continue to you know, to build from there. So uh, for people that want to check out your site, your blog uh, and the dollars and roses stuff, where can we go? I know you had a couple different sites and, and uh, places we can, you can send us. Yeah. The main blog, the, where I, I hang out the most is goodfinancialsense.com, C-E-N-T-S.com. And then if you want to check out me and my wife's or my wife and I's project, uh, you can go to dollarsandroses.com and uh, I'm all over Twitter as well. J Jeff Rose, Instagram, just I'm out there. You can find me. Deal. We will send people your direction. So Jeff, always good talking to you, buddy. We'll talk to you soon. Our man. Thank you. my friends. There you go. Hope you enjoyed that, uh, that chit chat with, uh, my buddy, Jeff Rose. Uh, feel free to check his stuff out more at jeffrose.com. You can also go to his, uh, his personal finance blog, goodfinancialsense.com. If you're trying to make some sense of your financial life, this is the site for you. So make sure you stop by, check that out, especially as we begin to uh, start 2015 next week or so, you want to make sure that you've got your financial house in order. So, uh, Jeff's blog is a great one to uh, check out. Also, uh, you can check out the, uh, dollars and roses, uh, blog and podcast that we talked about there that, that Jeff does with his uh his wife Mandy so make sure you uh, you check those out all of those links show notes everything that we discuss you can find at grandbaldon.com slash Jeff Rose so feel free to stop by there and uh, check that out as well you know one of the things that really stood out to me about my conversation with Jeff is how he takes risk and how necessary it is to take risk I mean, I mean you think about the different risk that he took even going back to joining the military risk, going to a war in Iraq, <laughs> massive risk, coming back and starting his own practice, risk, starting a blog, risk, starting a podcast with his wife, <laughs> risk. There's huge risk involved in what he has done, but risk, risk lead to rewards if you're willing to take them. But if you're just willing to just say like, ah, you know, it's, it's risky. It's, I'd rather prefer the, the safe, the secure, the comfortable. I get that. I totally understand that. It's easier to stay uh, in the, the safety and comfort of the known versus to venture out into the unknown. But when you venture out into the unknown, that's when you grow. That's when you learn. That's when you, you build more confidence and, and, uh, and value in who you are and what you're able to offer to the world. And so uh, I would encourage you and think about what is the risk that you need to take? Maybe it is with your job. Maybe it is with starting a business. Maybe it is with just doing something different with your finances. And not, I'm not talking about like betting the farm or doing, taking some type of, of colossal risk that has the ability to like screw things up for you. I enjoy taking risk, but I enjoy taking very, very, very calculated risk to really hone in and figure out how can I make this as less risky as possible by making sure that I've done the work and the preparation uh, that I'm as best as possible, I'm able to set myself up for success. So uh, again, I'd encourage you to think through what are the risks that you need to take in order to, uh, to make 2015 your best year yet. 
All right, boys and girls, I think that about wraps up this episode. I'm going to let you get back to uh, your family. I'm going to get back to mine. We're going to be enjoying the holidays and the uh, the Christmas festivities that may be. Uh, feel free to email me, grant to grantbaldwin.com. Feel free to hit me up on Twitter at Grant Baldwin. Would love to hear from you. But uh, I dig you. I'm cheering for you. I like you a lot. You're awesome. Cheers. Thanks for listening to the How Did You Get Into That podcast with Grant Baldwin. Don't forget to visit grantbaldwin.com for all the show notes and links discussed in today's episode. We'll see you next time.